0: ladies and gentlemen thank you for standing by at this time i would like to welcome everyone to the hymns and hers fourth quarter and full year 2023 earnings conference call please note that this call is being recorded if you would like to ask a question please press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad and if you would like to withdraw your question again press star one Thank you. I would now like to turn today's call over to Bill Newby, Director of Investor Relations. Bill, please go ahead.
1: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Hems and Hers fourth quarter and full year 2023 earnings call. Today, after the market closed, we released our first ever shareholder letter, a copy of which you can find on our website at investors.hems.com. On the call with me today is Andrew Dudum, our Co-Founder and Chief Executive Officer, as well as Yemi Okube, our Chief Financial Officer. Before I hand it over to Andrew, I I need to remind you of legal safe harbor and cautionary declarations. Certain statements and projections of future results made in this presentation constitute forward-looking statements that are based on, among other things, our current market, competitors, and regulatory expectations and are subject to risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to vary materially. We take no obligation to update publicly any forward-looking statement after this call, whether as a result of new information, future events, changes in assumptions, or otherwise. Please view the most recently filed 10-K and 10-Q reports for a discussion of risk factors as they relate to forward-looking statements. In today's presentation, we will also use certain non-GAAP financial measures we refer you to the reconciliation tables to the most directly comparable GAAP financial measures contained in today's press release and shareholder letter. You can find this information as well as a link to today's webcast at investors.hims.com. After the call, this webcast will be archived on the website for 12 months. And with that, I'll now turn the call over to Andrew. Thanks, Phil.
2: 2023 was a transformative year for Hymns and HERS as we continue to deliver against our mission of helping the world feel great through the power of better health. Strong execution of our strategy resulted in financial success on both the top and bottom line. Revenue increased 65 percent year-over-year to $872 million. Growth remains robust as a result of our ability to continue to draw and retain users to the Hims and HERS platform. Over 1.5 million subscribers were on the platform at the end of 2023, representing a year-over-year increase of 48%. We've always taken a disciplined approach to scaling our platform, and that is translating to meaningful success on our bottom line as well. I'm incredibly proud of our organization's ability to scale our platform efficiently and deliver our first quarter of positive net income on the one-year anniversary of our first quarter of positive adjusted EBITDA. Throughout 2023, we continue to excel at providing users with access, access to providers and diagnosis in days, or in some instance, hours, as opposed to weeks or months in brick and mortar, and access to clinically appropriate generic treatments and solutions for singular issues that consumers are challenged with. We view our capabilities to deliver on access as table stakes and believe a sustainable leadership position requires more. My belief is that our success is the culmination of an intentional focus on core specialties, as well as our ability to transform our platform across a few dimensions. Let me start by double-clicking into the significance of focus. Today, our efforts are focused on ensuring that customers have a delightful experience across five core specialties, sexual health, men's and women's dermatology, mental health, and weight loss, which we are excited to launch in the fourth quarter. These are some of the most emotionally resonant challenges across society today, and impact over 100 million individuals in the U.S. alone. In 2023, we made meaningful strides, evolving our platform across a few key dimensions, which has enabled us to capture a leading market share of customers seeking solutions within many of our specialties. First is the move beyond generics towards personalized solutions and treatments that uniquely address users' concern via new form factors as well as multi-action capabilities. Second is our ability to leverage AI capabilities across structured data to not only inform new effective and safe solutions that resonate with users, but also enable providers to leverage learnings from hundreds of thousands of interactions across our platform to more efficiently match users with the right treatment. Lastly our operational excellence and scale enable us to offer all of this value to users at attractive price points. Nationally renowned experts combined with our data platform were foundational to our ability to roll out access to heart support, hard mints, and updated men's hair loss options in our tenured specialties such as sexual health and men's dermatology. Personalized offerings which have now been adopted by over 30% of subscribers on the platform as of year-end, have allowed these specialties to continue to scale at a rapid rate through 2023. We're confident that substantial runway for growth remains, especially as we continue to evolve our offerings. The shift toward personalized offerings has been even stronger in our newer specialties, as new users are increasingly opting for these unique approaches to individualized care. HERS Dermatology subscribers are opting for a personalized solution more than 75% of the time, while subscribers to the new weight loss offering are essentially all opting for a personalized treatment. It is clear to us that personalized solutions drive increased longevity on the platform and help to facilitate the acquisition of new users. As we continue to see increasingly rapid adoption of personalized approaches across newer specialties such as HERS Dermatology, mental health, and weight loss, we are confident that each of these specialties has the ability to deliver more than $100 of revenue in 2025. We are pleased to see the strong momentum of the past six years continue into 2024 with continued strength across each of our specialties and margin expansion from our disciplined approach to scale. These factors provide us with line of sight to achieve our 2025 targets of 1.2 billion of revenue and 100 million of EBITDA one year early, we are also tracking toward our first year of positive net income in 2024. These are all important benchmarks, but we have every belief this is just the beginning. Our aspiration is to bring tens of millions of users on our platform, given the fact that over 100 million consumers are impacted by conditions and the specialties we serve. Our ability to achieve these ambitions will be governed by our ability to remove points of frictions for users seeking treatment today, as well as remove barriers for those who may be suffering but not seeking treatment. To date, we've excelled at removing barriers and friction points such as lack of awareness, accessibility, and affordability. In 2024, we expect personalization will be foundational to unlocking new opportunities for the treatment of users that may have alternative form factor needs or require unique dosages. We expect MedMatch by hims and hers to be a critical tool in giving both providers and consumers the confidence that a treatment will work for them. This is natural in that MedMatch by hims and hers has the potential to evolve to address one of the questions most top of mind for consumers. Has this solution worked for people like me? In the fourth quarter, we completed the transition of the vast majority of fulfillment to our affiliated pharmacies which sets the stage to break down a substantial barrier for users suffering across our specialties today, cost. Over 85% of orders going through affiliated pharmacies provides us greater ability to realize the benefits of scale and ultimately pass value back to consumers in a way that is beneficial for our users and accretive to HIMS & HERS. Since we founded HIMS & HERS six years ago, our goal has been bold to make the world feel great through the power of better health. Developing the technology, operations, clinical excellence, and brand to achieve this goal of transforming health and wellness requires a long-term approach and an operational mindset. Through the unparalleled experience and expertise of our team, we have built a platform that offers personalized solutions through a holistic and seamless customer experience at compelling price points. Our approach can enable almost every household in the nation to find a level of personalized care that has historically only been available to the wealthiest subset of the population. We are proud of what we are delivering and the positive outcomes we're bringing to our customers, and we are energized by the opportunity we have to bring this incredible experience to an expanding group of consumers in 2024. With that, I will pass it over to Yemi to walk through our financials in greater detail.
3: Thanks, Andrew. I will start by providing an overview of our fourth quarter financial performance and then expand on Andrew's comments related to our future outlook. We are incredibly proud of the progress made in 2023 in transforming the business into a leading provider of personalized solutions and are excited by how that positions us for the future. Our strong results are the result of sound execution of our simple but powerful strategy, which is to provide users with access to attractive, high quality and personalized solutions that are affordable and backed by an experience that is delightful from beginning to end. Our fourth quarter results are a great example of the intersection of great strategy and strong execution. Revenue grew 47% year-over-year to $246.6 driven primarily by the ongoing expansion of our subscriber base. We ended 2023 with over 1.5 million subscribers, up 48% from the end of 2022. Over the course of 2023, We continue to evolve the suite of personalized offerings throughout the year across each of our specialties, including launches of hard men's and chewables in men's sexual health, hair blends in women's dermatology, our first multi-action offering, heart support, and finally our weight management offering, which offers customized solutions designed around addressing the underlying causes of weight gain. Consumer demand for these offerings has been rapid, with over 35% of new subscribers pursuing personalized options in the fourth quarter. Our belief is that this will continue to enable us to drive robust growth for the foreseeable future. through firstly, drawing a broader audience of consumers impacted by a condition to seek treatment. Secondly, enabling us to capture a greater share of users that are currently seeking treatment. And lastly, increasing the longevity of users on the platform. At the core of our strategy is ensuring that these solutions are placed at attractive price points, which we believe will continue to drive both stronger demand and retention. Our shift toward affiliated pharmacies allowed us to offset the margin impact of strategic pricing actions implemented in 2023. Even more exciting is that they provide a platform to unlock efficiencies that will enable us to provide a better consumer experience at even more attractive price points. We exited 2023 with over 85% of orders fulfilled via affiliated pharmacies. Our expectation is to maintain a share of orders going through third parties in the high single digit to low double digit levels for redundancy purposes. Investments made in affiliated pharmacies have provided the foundation for expanded capabilities as well as efficiency gains. Affiliated pharmacies allow us to drive efficiencies across key costs such as logistics, product costs, and even customer support. Gross margins expanded almost four points year-over-year in both the fourth quarter and across the full year to 83% and 82% respectively as we were able to identify and capture these efficiencies. Greater scale will continue to allow us to drive efficiency across our operation. As previously mentioned, we will actively pass a portion of these gains back to consumers over the next several years in ways that we believe are long-term accretive. This may be in the form of targeted price reductions and additional value-added services. We believe that mass market pricing, combined with the convenience of our end-to-end experience, will enable us to cement a leadership position across each of our core specialties. Leveraging scale and actively capturing efficiencies is a core trait that extends beyond operations and is embedded in the DNA of HIMSS and HERS. Over the course of 2023, we gain leverage across the majority of cost areas, with marketing costs as a percentage of revenue improving one point, operations and support costs as a percentage of revenue improving one point, and GNA costs as a percentage of revenue improving three points. Disciplined growth and rigorous cost management are resulting in step change improvements in profitability. Adjusted EBITDA increased 68% quarter of a quarter in the fourth quarter to almost $21 million. This represents more than a 5x increase relative to the fourth quarter of last year, which was our first quarter of positive adjusted EBITDA. On the one-year anniversary of our first quarter of a positive adjusted EBITDA, we're thrilled to have generated our first quarter of positive net income. In the fourth quarter, net income was $1.2 million. Attainment of this important milestone is evidence of the strength of our strategy and capital allocation framework, as well as excellent execution across our organization. Our focus remains on continuing to address barriers that prevent consumers from seeking treatment for specialties that we serve, which we believe will result in greater market share capture. We will do so in a way that is disciplined and provides a path to generate positive free cash flow. To better reflect this focus, we have started disclosing free cash flow generated in each period. In 2023, we generated over $73 million of operating cash flow, driving a free cash flow of $47 million. We ended the year with $221 million of cash and short-term investments on our balance sheet, up over $41 million from the end of 2022. We intend to leverage the strength of our balance sheet to continue to expand our portfolio of personalized solutions, as well as to improve the efficiency of affiliated pharmacies as they continue to scale over the course of the next two to three years. This is reflected in the higher capital expenditures in the fourth quarter, as well as for the full year of 2023. Our expectation is that the evolution of personalized offerings will drive continued market share gains and growth in the near future. With that backdrop, I'd like to detail our outlook for 2024. In the first quarter, we are anticipating revenue in the range of 267 to 272 million, representing a year-over-year increase Of 40 to 43 percent. We expect adjusted EBITDA to be between 22 and 27 million, representing an adjusted EBITDA margin of 9 percent at the midpoint of both ranges. For the full year, we are anticipating revenue of between 1.17 to 1.2 billion, representing a year over year increase of 34 to 38 percent. It is our expectation that 2024 adjusted EBITDA will be between 100 and 120 million. These adjusted EBITDA and revenue ranges imply an adjusted EBITDA margin of 9% at the midpoint at both ranges. Our outlook for 2024 provides line of sight to achieve our 2025 floors of $1.2 billion of revenue and $100 million of adjusted EBITDA a year early. As mentioned previously, continued penetration of large adjustable markets across our specialties remains our core focus. We continue to scale in a disciplined way that adheres to our rigorous capital allocation framework. With continued successful execution of these priorities, it is our expectation that 2024 will be our first full year of generating positive net income. While 2023 was a phenomenal year, and 2024 looks to be equally, if not more exciting, as Andrew has always mentioned, the company has a long-term orientation. In that spirit, I'll take a moment to provide additional color on our expectations for progress on the attainment of our long-term adjusted EBITDA margin goals of 20 to 30%. Our expectation is that we will achieve adjusted EBITDA margins of at least low to mid-teens by 2027 and be within our long-term margin range no later than 2030. Margin expansion will occur as we continue charting a path forward toward our ambition of bringing tens of millions of subscribers onto the platform. While further leverage is expected across costs such as G&A and operations and support, a substantial portion of leverage is expected to come from marketing. Our expectation is that marketing as a percentage of revenue will be in the mid-30s to low 40s by 2030. Several factors give us conviction in our ability to drive marketing leverage over time. First, a greater share of our spend is increasingly becoming more semi-fixed in nature. In 2022 and over the course of 2023, we meaningfully scaled investment in broad-based brand spend intended to drive awareness and consideration of our brand to users earlier in their lifecycle journey. As it starts to hit maturity in 2024, we are confident in our ability to get greater leverage on this spend. Second, our belief is that we can increase conversion and retention by offering consumers high quality personalized solutions. We've already seen early signs of success that offering personalized solutions enables us to better convert users as well as increase their longevity on the platform. This is especially true when they are placed at attractive price points as we saw in the second quarter of 2023. As our personalized solutions continue to evolve to encompass multi condition treatments as well as new form factors, and scale enables us to place them at more attractive price points, our expectations is that we will see continued gains in both conversion and retention. Lastly, our business is based on a recurring revenue model and the majority of marketing spend goes towards the acquisition of new users. As our user base continues to mature and the average tenure of users on the platform increases, our expectation is that we will gain leverage. These dynamics are expected to drive between one to three points of marketing leverage per year, with leverage starting to show as early as 2024. 2023 was an exceptional year for hims and hers. Momentum looks to be stronger than ever as we head into 2024. We have high conviction that our strategy of providing users with access to high-quality personalized solutions that are affordable and backed by an experience that is delightful from beginning to end will position us for continued success in the coming years. Our ability to drive these strong results would not be possible without the dedication of hundreds of employees across HIMSS and HERS. I'd like to thank them as well as our customers and partners that support us in our mission of helping the world feel great through the power of better health. We appreciate the support of our shareholders and look forward to keeping you updated on our progress. With that, I will now turn it over to the operator for questions.
0: Thank you. As a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw that question, again, press star one. We also ask that you limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. And for any additional questions, please re-queue. Your first question comes from the line of Alan Lutz from Bank of America. Please go ahead.
4: Good afternoon, and thanks for taking the questions. Uh, Andrew, you, you mentioned that HERS, DERM, mental health, and weight loss can each deliver more than $100 million of revenue in 2025. I'm just curious, what gives you line of sight into that, and how much do you expect to be cross-sales? And then, related to that, what percent of your marketing budget is just getting patients to the Hims platform, which it, versus how much is specific to each indication that you're treating? Thanks.
2: Thanks, Alan. Great question. Maybe I'll take the first half and Yemi can jump on the the marketing side. I think for for the emerging categories, this is really exciting, right? We're seeing massive adoption of personalized offerings and custom treatments in those categories. I think we mentioned first dermatology, north of 70 percent of people are adopting those types of personalized treatments. And with our newest category, weight loss, nearly 100 percent of people are adopting those personalized treatments. seeing a really great dynamic with regard to stickiness, high engagement, high retention with those customers. We think that that type of an offering where patients and providers can more nuanced cater to an individual's needs will result in a much stickier relationship long-term. And so I think given the size of those markets, which are absolutely enormous as we know, and the very unique mapped market pricing and personalized approach, it just gives us a tremendous amount of conviction that, that those emerging categories will be meaningful contributors to growth in the long term. But even in the not-too-distant future, in 2025, you know, just a, a year after this weight loss categories it, it has gone live to lead those to be able to contribute 100 million plus. So, really excited by both the tenured categories um, accelerating as a result of the personalization, but also the new emerging categories starting starting to show some very meaningful contributions to long-term growth.
3: Hey Alan, thanks for the question. To hit the second part of your question. Um, historically, we've had both targeted as well as broad broad ads. Um, so many of the investments that we make in areas such as direct response and social uh, tend to be mid and later funnel. <clears throat> Earlier on in the company's life cycle, we still were able to draw consumers' eyeballs, but that was traditionally through things like the retail partnerships that we've oftentimes spoke, spoken about. As, like, as we mentioned in 2022 and 2023, uh, we really started to scale some of the broad-based um, brand spend to make users aware of the holistic set of conditions that we offered. So, that's less around, you know, engaging with the user for a specific condition and more introducing them to the overall hims and hers uh, brands, respectively. And so, in 2022 and 2023, we saw a greater portion of spend come towards that that's one of the things that also gives us confidence in the ability to get leverage really this year and into 2025 is that that spend tends to be more semi-fixed in nature as you start to you know implement integrate into channels uh you're not necessarily scaling uh you know as rapid of a pace once you reach a certain level of maturity
4: great and then another one for you yemi as we think about the margin profile that you reported in 4q and we think about the margin trajectory into 2024 um, yeah, I'm curious on the gross margin line. It seems like the the percentage of scripts going through affiliated pharmacies is going to stay relatively consistent. I think that changed versus the last quarter. So, can you talk a little bit about your decision to to not get to 100% uh, going through the affiliated pharmacies? Thanks.
3: Yeah, I think we, we really always want to maintain uh, flexibility and have redundancy purposes set up. And so, you know, in the near to midterm, uh, we view maintaining those relationships very much as a strategic. As we look to the affiliated pharmacies, um, you know, as mentioned, over time, we view gross margins going to um, more of the mid to high 70s. It is probably likely going to take us a few years to get there just because in the affiliated pharmacies. There are opportunities uh, both in terms of process that can drive higher margins as well as, you know, as we look to the scale that we have now, that unlocks the ability to leverage our balance sheet to drive greater efficiencies as well. We'll look to pass those back to consumers, but we're going to do that in a very thoughtful way, run dedicated experiments uh, to just ensure that as we are giving that value back to consumers, it will result in
1: long-term value not only for the consumers, but also for HEMS and hers.
5: Great.
4: Thank
1: you.
0: Our next question comes from the line of Daniel Light from Citigroup, please go ahead.
5: Hey guys, thanks for taking the question, and congrats on the uh, strong results here. Um, I want to stick with the marketing question, Uh, and I appreciate all the details that you've given so far, Uh, but I'm curious, you know, one of your competitors, mostly on the mental health side, mentioned that they're seeing a, a decline in their marketing efficiency. Um, and, and you obviously are, are going to start to see more leverage coming out in 24 and, and beyond. So I'm curious if you're seeing a, a similar degradation uh, in in marketing efficiency away from the broad brand building, which it seems like is going to be a, a majority of your investment in, in 24 and beyond. And then I guess with that, um, I mean, you mentioned that as a greater proportion of your um, user base becomes this recurring uh, user, you're naturally gonna get uh, additional uh, efficiency from your marketing line item. So I'm curious if there's any stats you can provide around retention rates, churn rates, um, what percent of your user base now is on the platform for X amount of months or or years um, would be very helpful.
3: Yeah, so to take the first part of the the question, thanks for the question, Dan. Um, You know, really our focal point is around still continuing to maintain the payback period of of less than a year, which we have been able to, to do. Uh, CACs do you know, tend to fluctuate across quarters. We've really not seen anything out of the norm and there's a few reasons you know, behind that. And some of it is just unique to the way that our platform is positioned. Uh, the first is that we oftentimes diversify uh, across a broad set of channels, uh, as well as we're constantly experimenting with new messages, new narratives to consumers, and really the channels interconnect with one another. And so as we started to invest in things like broad-based campaigns, we're seeing that show up uh, in terms of efficiency in some of our other marketing channels. Uh, the second is really just, you know, the the combination of having a diversified set of products across the ecosystem that we can message to to users. We're able to rotate capital across our specialties. It uh, really enables the ability to drive greater efficiency across the entire ecosystem. And lastly, what we're seeing is really the differentiated offering resonates with 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 our user base. And as we're bringing uh, both. Personalized solutions as well as products; uh, those are drawing in a greater and greater set of users, and so we're actually seeing, you know, in many instances, where they're drawing users of the platform, which result which is, which is resulting in greater share capture across the ecosystem. To the second part of your question, um, you know, just around you know how we're thinking around the the overall marketing leverage, uh, you know, ecosystem, the vast majority of our spend actually goes towards the acquisition of new customers. And so as a result, as we continue to build a larger and larger base of existing users that are tenured on the platform, uh, that inherently results in, in more leverage. And so what we are seeing is that particularly with personalized products and some of the pricing changes that we made last year, the platform is getting even more stickier than what historically was. And so as a result of that, that gives us the conviction to you know start to call the fact that we'll even receive leverage as early this year. And Andrew, not sure if there's anything you wanted to, to add, add to that as well.
2: Yeah, thanks, Daniel. On the, on the mental health side, you know, one thing to point out, I think there continues to be a lot of investment in that category, specifically on the clinical excellence side with, with MedMatch and our AI capabilities to be able to better predict how a patient is going to respond with different medications. And obviously, the trial and error that comes with mental health treatment is is quite brutal. So, I think over time, you know, we're going to see a stickier relationship with those customers. I think increased confidence in the brand, increased trust in the brand. Um, and so that category continues to be one of our highest growing specialties, like we shared in the past, growing triple digits. Um, and I think, as we continue to lean into the clinical efficacy side and expand the the potential personalized treatment options, there's an opportunity for us to continue to 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 lean in and and continue to take fairly meaningful market
5: share. yeah, makes sense and then as a as a follow up, uh, yeah, I mean, you mentioned um, some investments you're you're making you've made in in the four q and your affiliated pharmacies and that accounted for a majority of the uh, the big increase in the purchase of PPE, um, E this quarter. How should we think about um, CapEx and investments needed in your website and, and app for 2024 and, and beyond? Is kind of an eight and a half million in the right runway rate per quarter on on PPE, two and a half on on website? How should we be thinking about that?
3: a okay, great question, Dan. I think, I think it's going to probably vary across quarter to quarter, so it's not necessarily going to be just like a neat neat investment. I think that there's two, two areas or two ways that we think around it. One is just expanding capabilities and capacity. So as we start to look to have a broader evolution of personalized offerings on the platform, uh, that is one area of investment. The other big area of investment um, you know, that's likely more likely to show up in late H1, early H2 is really around with a different level and scale profile that we currently have relative to most other players in the market. That affords us the ability to start to leverage the balance sheet to automate processes within the affiliated pharmacies. And so as a result, that effectively makes the overall ecosystem more efficient, pays back pretty quickly, but then also enables us to
1: pass value back to consumers without with very limited margin, de- margin degradation.
0: Got it. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of John A. Kim from TD Cowan. Please go ahead. Hi, thank you for taking my question. Just curious, in your guidance, how much of new product launches is baked in there, and in your opinion, what could drive potential upside and downside to guidance? Thank you.
3: Maybe I can start, and then we'll we'll you know can hand it over to to Andrew as well. I think inherently, like what we are assuming is that the personalization offerings that we have across all of our specialties effectively continues to evolve, and so we've seen a very rapid adoption uh, across that over the years as we've rolled out new products. Uh, now, with 30% of the overall subscriber base seeking to adopt a personalized product. Um, the things that could drive further upside on if, is that if that adoption happen, happens faster than we anticipate um, or, you know, there are products, some of what we saw last year when we rolled out hard that users um, are drawn to in a faster way than we anticipated, um, that could result in in meaningful meaningful upside. The last is, is, is we are very much in the early days of weight management. Um, that platform will – an offering will continue to evolve. Uh, we're seeing early signs of traction historically. we've We've said that it takes twelve to eighteen months to uh, really see meaningful contribution from categories. Uh, but there is the potential for for that to be brought forward. And Andrew' not sure if there's anything that you wanted to also add to that.
2: yeah, the, the only thing I'd add is there's really a focus, I think, this year on on depth, right to to focus on the core specialties that we outlined. We believe those are exceptionally large when you look at the total TAM and the penetration rates. Um, you know they're they're massive, right? You're talking about 100 million people plus with one, two, three percent penetration rate. So there's still so many barriers for why people are not getting treated, whether or not that's access or price or stigma or education or a lack of personalized choice. So I think we're we're continuing to to go deeper in the core specialties, and I think you'll see us offer a wider range of segmentation and portfolio across offerings and capabilities and product selection. Uh, uh, as well as technology capabilities in order to strengthen the confidence from a consumer's perspective that not only can you get great access to health and wellness at Hems and Hers, but you can actually get clinically the best care
1: for the core specialty, specialties that, that we focus on.
0: Got it. And just one more question, in terms of the retention rate, did you see any improvement compared to other quarters? And what are you baking in in terms of retention rates for the next year? Thank you so much.
3: Yes, yeah, so I, th- I think we're very excited by the adoption of personalized products as we look into 2024. Our belief is that um, as a greater share of users shift to those products, um, retention on the platform will be sticker than historically has. Across many of the more tenured specialties, um, we have seen some success with um, some of the, the personalized offerings. The second is we're we're lapping the price effects um, or we'll start to lap some of the pricing effects uh, from Q2 of last year. And really what we've seen in the early signals is as we've put many of the personalized offerings and longer duration subscriptions at more attractive price points, what drove the ability to break even um, last year uh, was primarily around new users switching and, and, a, and a different composition mix uh, what we're excited by in 2024 is that we do see the potential for even higher retention uh, for those users that came on, as well as the existing users that are on the on the on the platform, just because the products are very uniquely differentiated, and they're also at uh, very cost-effective price points. And so the combination of those things gives us confidence. Uh, you know that retention will continue to imp- improve uh, throughout 20-
1: 2024. As a result of that, that's some of that is reflected in, into the stronger guide.
0: Got it. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Jack Wallace from Guggenheim Securities. Please go ahead.
1: Thank you. Thanks for taking my questions. I just wanted to ask the contribution uh, question a little differently uh, with regards to
2: the emerging categories. Uh, Is there any way you can help give us a a baseline for how those categories did uh, in 23 uh, because if I'm if just doing the math here, it looks like there's a pretty significant step up uh, in those categories, and uh, it, it seems to be a meaningful driver for the guidance.
1: Uh, can you just help us un- unpack the kind of the relative contributions um, uh, as we're we're thinking about the outlook? Thank you. Yeah, Jack, great great question. Um, I'll let you have me go into a bit of
2: detail, but but I think. Yeah, instinctively correct, right? I think we're seeing the emerging categories first dermatology, um, weight loss, which show exceptional signs of momentum. and And I think the early indications of high adoption rate of personalized products really reflect essentially the engagement and stickiness profiles um, of those customers, right? You, you have some of our more tenured businesses, the aggregate of the business, around thirty percent adopting of those personalized products. On the new emerging categories, you have 70-plus percent in herd dermatology and nearly 100% in waste management. So I think it's reflective of the type of customer, the stickiness of that relationship. I think when you look at the composition of growth, you know, more and more that composition uh, is moving towards a lot of the new emerging categories, which we think are very large pans. Um, with that said, I think we've also seen acceleration in the in the more tenured categories as they've adopted the wider blend of portfolio with the new personalized offers. So there's definitely a ramp up happening with regarding uh, with regards to the, the emerging categories, and I think it's giving us um, in combination with the the more tenured success. Um, a lot of confidence to be able to, at that high end of the range, you know, pull forward the 2025 guide of 1.2 and $100 million in EBITDA uh, a year early. So, I think really exciting from everything that we're seeing already in the
5: very beginning of the year.
3: Yeah, I think mean, just to provide um, you know, an additional color there, Jack, I think we, we, you know, 2023 saw success across both the uh tenured specialties as Andrew mentioned, as well as some of the more emerging ones. Uh, and so really, you know, as we started to roll out new uh, personalized products within some of the tenured specialties, we saw rapid adoption um, of you know, many of those, many of those products across the portfolio. And so that continues to drive success across the tenured offerings. I think one of the beauties of the overall model is that, you know, given the fact that we have now over 1.5 million subscribers on the platform uh, across many different specialties. We're able to take efficiencies and learnings that we've already historically gotten and that we also continue to get, um, you know, with that scale and rapidly deploy them across some of the uh, newer and more emerging offerings. And so as a result, what we are seeing is that oftentimes many of these are able to scale at an even faster pace than some of our more tenured uh, categories historically have just because we're able to take the learnings across things like marketing, segmentation, messaging, personalization, and so forth. And embed that into um, how we operate
1: and run the, the the newer 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 categories. Thank you. That's helpful. And then, you know, one thing maybe I didn't hear you you say explicitly,
2: but I'm guessing is is part of the outlook is that there's going to be the potential for our, some cross-selling inside your base. And as us model jockeys are updating our outlook um, in response to the, you know, strong fourth quarter results in the guide just
5: wondering if there's maybe any change in the growth algorithm between subscriber growth and uh, your revenue per subscriber going forward. Thank you.
3: Yeah, at this time, our, our focus still remains on uh, expanding the subscriber base. I, I think as Andrew uh, mentioned in his preferred remarks, as well as um, I think in one of the questions previously, uh, the overall TAMs across the specialties that we serve are, are massive. And so while we're impressed with having over 1.5 million subscribers on the platform. The reality is is there's 100 million users across the country that are suffering from these specialties in some form or fashion. And so the ability to break down barriers and and capture those is something that uh, we view we're very much in the early innings of, and so subscriber growth will be the focus. That said, you are starting to see us innovate with uh, the personalized offerings and things like MedMatch Where we're starting to roll out things like multi-condition treatments. We're also starting to think through, um, you know, what are potential offerings that uh, a user can simply get treated for multiple things. And as we start to do that, uh, I think there will be a pretty sizable unlock, but the primary focus today remains on ensuring that across each of the specialties, consumers have an amazing experience and subscriber growth is is the primary metric.
2: Jack, maybe I'll just add one thing there. I think I think in some ways, you know, as the company's capabilities at the pharmacy continue to improve, and as as Yemi said, we're launching you know dual action capabilities, triple action capabilities. We're treating um, you know, for example, on weight loss, the many of the underlying conditions or or causes of weight gain. You know, it's it's uh, the platform. I think is moving a little bit away from the simplistic concept of maybe cross sell. Um, and more towards, uh, you know, more holistic care in that single offering. So we might be treating you for men's sexual health, but we're also treating you for cardiovascular risk profile, um, and and that is a personalized offering with dual action capabilities. Might not fall as cleanly into a simple cross category cross sell, but very much is a much deeper relationship with the customer. In a way that um, is offering multiple categories, multiple conditions, and ultimately, we believe it's
1: a much stickier relationship. Got it. Makes sense. Thank you.
0: Your next question comes from the line of Glenn Santi Angelo from Jeffries. Please go ahead. Oh,
6: uh, yeah. Thanks for taking my question. I, I actually have one for each of you. Uh, Andrew, I want to start with you and talk about weight loss a little bit. It, it sounds like some of the Initially exuberance around the potential to eventually sell GLP-1s that that sort of died down. But it sounds like you're getting a lot of traction here, and I'm kind of curious. Could you could you it, it give us a little bit more uh, in terms of the, the the products that you're offering here? And it sounds like you're doing some personalized treatments, and I'm kind of curious as to how you're doing that and how you're pricing for that product because it sounds like it's it's been a a, a, a nice upside
2: surprise for you. I think, you know, we're we're really excited by by the launch. We we partnered and and brought Dr. Craig Freeman into the into the um uh, company a couple of quarters back and since then have been really refining what we believe is a great clinical offering that goes under the hood of traditional weight management and and more of what you'd find at a a very high-end obesity specialist, right? Somebody who is used to understanding the underlying causes of your weight gain. This could be things like insulin resistance, um, metabolic disorders, eating habits, depressive binge dynamics, um, uh, and treating those things directly, which we have great confidence, have meaningful clinical efficacy um, in in helping people not only shed the weight, but also something that's sustainable and something that you can, you know, stay on repeatedly for, for a long period of time. Uh, That offering, I think, is something we're excited by, in addition to because it's also a mass market offering, right? We're pricing that in the range of $70 per month, which is a simple cash price that has the holistic care of the platform, the obesity specialist access, constant interaction and adjustment to your treatment, as well as the personalized compounded treatments delivered to your door. Um, so we think it's I- incredibly valuable. We think the holistic offering, including the mobile application, the content, is really compelling um, and has a lot of efficacy. Um, and it's not to say that you know we're, we're not still excited by the GLP-1s. We we very much expect those to be on the platform, and would expect in the coming years for those to contribute you know very meaningful growth to the business. It's, it's um, uh, you know I think very energizing
1: to see the efficacy
2: of those. Um, but we are also, you know, pretty excited by the the model that we brought to market as a first iteration, and plan to continue to expand the portfolio and expand the offering. Um, and believe ultimately, this category is going to be a massive contributor to growth. And I think we we already are very, you know, encouraged by the response thus far that that allows us to say that. But you know, with the amount of people struggling, it's it's very clearly um, a really big opportunity to help a lot of people.
6: That, that's super helpful. Thanks for that detail. Uh, hey, Yemi, I just wanted to ask you about the monthly online rev per subscriber. You know, it ticked down a little bit sequentially, but if you look at the average order value, you know, that was up pretty meaningfully year over year and also picked up sequentially. So I'm wondering if you could just sort of reconcile those two data points maybe and give us a sense for, you know, is anything changing with respect to mix or subscription duration or price or anything that would that would reconcile those two data points? Thanks.
3: Yeah, I think it's a great question, Glenn. So I think it's a combination of the the factors that you had um, you had outlined. I think that we see, um, you know, really as customers tend to go to longer duration subscriptions, uh, those tend to have higher average order baskets, but also come with an exchange for a longer term commitment, generally a lower uh, monthly, you know, monthly rate. And so you sign up for more at once, but you get a lower monthly rate. So we are seeing as a result of some of the pricing changes that we made in Q2, uh, a greater share of users opting for, uh, you know, subscriptions that are longer duration in, in nature. And then there's, you know, just, you know, from quarter to quarter, there is, uh, you know, adjustments, you know, that happen in the overall uh, product mix. But, you know, we would say it's just like, you know, a lot of the movements that we're seeing, you know, are, you know tend to be within the, the course of, um, of normal, and so it's been relatively stable over the last, last couple quarters.
6: Thank you.
0: Our next question comes from the line of Jalindra Singh from Truist Security. Please go ahead.
7: Thank you, and thanks for taking my questions and congrats on a strong quarter quadrant guide. Uh, my first question around balance sheet and cash flow strength. Just wondering if you're willing to share your 2024 uh, free cash flow expectations. And related to that, just wanted to get your thoughts on the capital deployment 220 million cash and short term investments on your balance sheet. How do you think of deploying cash? You talked about Internal investments. Just curious, if you have any plans to get back in the mix on M&A, and if there are certain uh, capabilities or areas you plan to focus when it comes to M&A. Uh,
3: thanks for the question, Jalendra. So I think that we, um, you know, we do like the optionality that, that cash provides on on the balance sheet. Uh, you know, that said, I think the reality is like we are seeing the operating cash flow that we're generating as well as the free cash flow that we're generating accelerate pretty, pretty meaningfully with north of 70 million of operating cash flow, um, you know, delivered, delivered last year. I think in terms of how we think around the, the priorities, um, you know, as mentioned, we do see, uh, meaningful opportunity to introduce new capabilities. Uh, you know, into the affiliated pharmacies, both in the form of uh, additional capacity as well as a broader set of personalized offerings across the ecosystem. Uh, and then, what we also um, you know do do then see is, you know, there is the opportunity for M&A. We're going to hold a high bar for that. I think that the types of the types of profiles of deals that we would look to potentially consider would be similar to what we've done in the past, where it's extending a, a new capability or or expanding a new opportunity, similar to what Apostrophe provided. But like that probably would be the the order where we would leverage the balance sheet for capabilities slash capacity of uh, personalized offerings, followed by some of the automation efforts that we talked around to increase the overall efficiency across the pharmacies. Uh, and then lastly, you know, I think that we will be Opportunistic with a, but it's going to be primarily centered around um, the expansion of new, new new capabilities as opposed to um, you know the acquisition of revenue.
7: that's uh, that's helpful. And then my follow up is related to your comments around remaining flexible around incremental pricing adjustments uh, in in future. can you can you help us with some of the key trends or metrics you will focus on with respect to your decision to do these adjustments in future? Also, trying to better understand your assumptions around the competitive environment as as part of your 24 guide.
3: Yeah, I think it's a great question. You know, so I think in the, in our shareholder letter, we did provide um, you know some visibility into you know some of the competitive dynamics that we are that we are seeing, and we're quite pleased by uh, many of the actions that we took in 2023 that enabled us to um, effectively draw new users into the ecosystem, um, which resulted in in greater market share capture as we look to make pricing decisions like we we consider several factors but ultimately at the end of the day like what we are looking for is does it yield a higher you know uh, net present value across the you know, the category and that comes in the form of a higher LTV on each individual user where retention you know more than likely goes up to offset the the pricing degradation or we're able to draw a different user mix or more users into the ecosystem and so the changes that we saw in uh, the, second, the second quarter of, of last year uh, really were a reflection of, you know, um, a couple quarters of, of testing to, to get that right, and so we're continuously experimenting now uh, to identify, like, what is the right mix to pass through some of that value to consumers, but it generally, you know, is expected to be those
1: actions NPV created to to any given specialty that we have. Great. Thanks a lot.
0: Your next question comes from the line of George Hill from Deutsche Bank. Please go ahead. Hey, good evening,
2: guys, and thanks for taking the question. I kind of wanted to uh, piggyback on Jalendra's line of questions there, which is, as we think about the pricing action that you guys are looking to take and, and are taking, um, I, I guess, I mean, is there any way to talk about, like, what should we think of the, as the benchmarks? Or I guess I'm just trying, I'm trying to get more color on how you guys evaluate the pricing action so we can evaluate. Kind of the market dynamics the same way that you guys do? I don't know if it's comparable prices at retail pharmacies. Is it cash prices? Is it um, like what's happening with underlying generic drug costs? I guess just I would just love any more information that you could give us around like kind of the inputs in the pricing decisions.
3: Yes, I think it's less around, um, I think it's less around what's happening with the uh, external environment and I think it's really more around running experimentation uh, across you know the ecosystem, I think now with the beauty of the model is having 1.5 million subscribers on the platform. That gives us the you know ability to run several experiments at any given point in time. From that, we're able to determine um, you know with the changes, are those resulting in the types of behavioral patterns you know that we did see. And then we're also able to, you know, estimate with our data science teams is that likely to be long-term accretive and and how much. And so I think it's really more of experimentation, um, of of um, of opportunities across our platform, and then really leaning into that versus, you know, trying to compare to external factors because the offering that we are increasingly bringing to market is is so different. And Andrew, not sure if there's anything you wanted to, to also add, add there as well.
7: No, I
2: think I think that's right. I mean. I think, George, there's really not a lot of focus with regard to, you know, maybe specific drug pricing or cost to generics or cost for cash pay because, as Yemi said, the holistic offering that patients are getting from access to the provider, unlimited visits, constant iteration and treatment, the delivery of the treatment, the content, you know, that, that whole thing is, um, is really incomparable to a specific drug treatment. Um, I think in addition to the experimentation and optimization of kind of a, a longevity, uh, lifetime Value Analysis, which Yemi was speaking to, I think there's also just a very 1st principled perspective around understanding that in the core specialties we operate in, there are 100 million-plus people suffering. And so, when you no. want to go after a mass market opportunity, right, where um, we don't aim to bring 500,000 new subs on the platform, we aim to bring 5 or 10 million new subs on the platform. There's just a, an understanding that as you can leverage your scale and efficiency and bring that back into a customer's pocket, you are unlocking different um, demographics and segments. Um, and I think as we expand the portfolio of offering, you'll see us uh, be, um, you know, expanding both on on the the high end for for you know more of the premium experience as well as more on the mass market experience to give people that flexibility and welcome them into the tent. No, that that's super helpful. If I I could just have a quick follow up. Yeah, I mean, um, just do you, do you guys know what percentage of your, your users uh, pay for the subscription with either an HSA card or an FSA card?
3: Um, I don't think we have that that direct visibility. Um, you know, you know, at this time, I think the vast majority of our users, uh, as we you know stated previously, you know, do you have insurance, and so, um, but I don't think we have the direct split of how many are using uh, an HSA or FSA card.
0: Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Your next question comes from the line of Corinne Wolfmeyer from Piper Sandler. Please go ahead.
8: Hey, good afternoon guys. Uh, Thanks for the question and congrats on a really good quarter. I wanna touch a bit on the gross margin again and kind of what you're embedding into expectations here for 2024. So you have taken some pricing actions but you're also seeing some scale benefits and other things that are offsetting. So is it fair to assume assume that gross margin should maybe you know still be expanding in twenty four and then start contracting and moving down toward that seventy five percent long term that you're talking about. Or how should we be thinking about the, the trajectory there? Thanks.
3: Yeah, so I think the path to you know seven, you know, kind of the, the mid to, to or the mid seventies that we've guided to uh, is definitely going to be probably more more of a multi-year journey. Like that's not going to happen over the course of like a couple quarters uh we do see you know some pretty you know amazing opportunities in front of us to also continue to drive efficiency whether that's in the form of just um, volume negotiated rates that we have across uh, our supply chain ecosystem or continued process improvements like looking to get more and more efficient around those as well as just the ability to automate from scale Um, you know we'll you know continue to evolve evolve that over in the course of several quarters, um, you know, slash years. But then, as mentioned, like, we're actively looking for ways to give back to consumers. But, like, that does take time to identify what are those, what are the most optimal opportunities, and we're going to take our time to do that. And so, the past to 70s is not going to happen over the course of, you know, one or two
1: quarters, or even a year. It's likely to be a multi, multi-year journey.
8: Got it. Very helpful. And then, is there any color you can provide on the, the wholesale revenue this quarter? I know it's a small piece of the business, but it did grow pretty notably. Um, so anything to call out there, and then as we look forward and model forward, is Q4 kind of the proper run rate to build off of, um, or should it be a little bit weaker going forward? Thanks.
3: Yes, I think the wholesale channel is one that that remains um, more strategic in nature for us. I think it's a relatively um, you know small percentage of the business. We do still view it very much a strategic for just bringing eyeballs Uh, you know, to to the platform, but, you know, as we started to have found other mechanisms, namely in the form of of brand spend, while still important, the impact of that is uh, not necessarily to the same degree that it historically was. And so I think that the guidance that we can provide is that we're not necessarily actively looking to expand, uh, you know, that channel, um, you know, proactively. That said, there are periods where, um, you know, a new merchant or uh, a new supplier, uh, might want to you know boost this one of our offerings and so some of what we saw on Q4 was
1: a result of that. But that, that is not an active channel that we're seeking to rapidly expand.
0: Very helpful. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Ivan Feinseth from Tigress Financial Partners. Please go ahead.
6: Hi right, thanks for taking my questions and congratulations on another great quarter and year and the the great outlook. As you start to work with um, patients that are using GLPs, as people start to significantly reduce their food and caloric intake, it's going to create nutritional and even protein deficiencies. How do you feel, what do you feel your opportunity is to introduce products to help them manage that? And how would you foresee, let's say, the advisor or the the doctor or the provider cross-selling or recommending
1: products like these? Thanks, Ivan. I think it's um, I think it's a great question. We, you know, I think we holistically
2: believe that we can bring to market for each of these categories um, the true necessities of what is is needed for success. And I think each of the categories likely has a different um, set of components for that. I think in obesity management, to, to your point, there's a pretty wide range. There's often um, you know, pharmaceutical intervention that, that helps make it easier. There's, you know, very clear caloric and nutritional necessity. There's basic movement necessity. There's water intake. There's mental health and sleep. Um, there's protein supplementation. Um, you know, you think about a business like Weight Watchers that's been around for a very long time, and it's had north of 3 million subscribers um, for decades, right? I think that um that business approached it with with a couple of the components i think um we have the privilege as a um as a consumer oriented brand and really building these offerings ourselves holistically to be able to go to market with a wide range so i could absolutely imagine hims and hers having supplementation offerings um having food replacement offerings um as part of the core obesity offering that we launched there fairly holistic recipe and nutritional information and guidance. Um, uh, so, I think, you know, this category is one where you really need all hands on deck and there's often five or six components to what makes that puzzle really uh, come together and be successful. Uh, and so, I think you'll see us as we continue to scale this to evolve the offering and expand the offering to, to fill a lot of those different needs.
6: And One more question. And congratulations on the great year-over-year subscriber growth. Do you have any kind of data you could share as far as how you see uh, once a subscriber joins, how they ramp up their purchases, like, uh, how, like what the percentage year-over-year change is, how much a subscriber, you know, when they go from one to products to two products, and et cetera? Yeah, it's a great question. We
2: haven't, we haven't disclosed any, anything specific on that. I think the best guidance I could probably give you is, um, you are know, probably pointing to the personalization adoption. Uh, you know, we've gone essentially zero to, you know, north of 30 percent of subscribers on the platform, um, you know, being treated with a personalized offering and in the newer categories like dermatology and weight loss, you know, between 70 and 100 percent personalized. I would say that those personalized solutions for the most part um, often include expanded value. Um, they might include multi-dual multi action or uh, triple action or supplements that counter uh, some type of side effect or concern of the patient um, or multiple dosages or custom dosages. And so, I think the, the rapid adoption of personalized treatments is um, you know a really exciting indicator for us of the commitment to the platform and the uh, recommitment of the platform for patients that are um in many situations upselling and uh, adopting the new offerings that are coming onto the platform at very very mass market affordable prices
6: thanks and uh looking forward to a big 2024 for you thanks ivan
0: your next question comes from the line of michael from cherny lear partners please go ahead
1: Uh, Afternoon, evening, guys, and and thank you for the question. Uh, A lot of mine have been addressed, but I guess I just want to harp a little bit more on the gross margin side. It's great that you have the operating leverage to drive towards the long-term margins as you outlined, Yemi, but why is that level going to mid to high 70s the kind of right number in terms of the way you see pricing and tie back towards customer benefits? Just trying to understand how that fits into the broader scaling effect, and as you settle on that number, whether you're on the pathway there or before you get there, why landing in that number is is the right level, and is there potential variability to the upside or the downside beyond that.
3: Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Michael. I think it's a great, great question. Um, so the teams, you know, do spend a lot of diff- a lot of time running scenarios on like what we call as our our North star, uh, which is effectively, you know, across a variety of different improvements to our model, uh, as well as give backs to consumers. Uh, where do we think that optimal equilibrium lands? And so what we do see is that, as Andrew mentioned, given the fact that we're not looking to, you know, add another 500,000 or a million subscribers, we're looking to eventually bring on tens of millions of subscribers onto the platform. Um, placing our offerings and or having a segmented offering that's at different price points for different users is something that, something that is fundamentally important uh, to us. And so as we've started to, you know, run different scenarios, we view that we can offer that holistic suite, both at the premium end, the mid end, and then the mass market end, um, you know, at a margin profile uh, that lands into, in the mid-70s. Like, as mentioned previously, that will, you know, take some time. I think you'll see periods where margins, similar to like last year, may actually expand as we unlock efficiencies in advance of that. Uh, but over time, like, we view the pathway to get to tens of millions of subscribers.
1: Um, having a mass market offering, you know, as well uh, is a critical, critical element to that. Cool. Uh, That's it for me. Thanks so much.